Good morning, everybody. It is always a privilege to share the Word of God. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for opening your hearts. My voice is a little bit weak today. I'm not sure why, but I'm praying that God's voice will be strong in our hearts, even if my voice is a little weak. Um, but we're going to look at something that happened in the life of Gideon this morning. And the Lord really used this passage to encourage me personally this week. And as I began to meditate on it, I just sensed that he wanted to speak to all of us through it. And uh, so we're, that's what we're going to look at. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 6, because that's where it's all going to be that we're going to look at. <clears throat> but as Paul already referenced this morning, two Sundays ago, we had Hilton and Risa Rose with us. You guys remember, they were visiting and by the way, they send their love. They texted us this morning and asked us to send their love to the church. But Hilton shared some things prophetically that he sensed for us as a church. And so um, last Sunday, Paul went through some of those things and just helped us to process those. I'm not going to do that again today, but there are some things in this passage of Judges 6. As we go through it, there is a few things that are kind of mirroring some of the things that Hilton encouraged us with prophetically. And so as we see those things, I'm just going to mention and remind us of some of the things that he spoke prophetically. And I want to start that by reminding us that Hilton prophetically said to us that as a church, God wants to meet us where we are at. And I believe he wants that individually. He wants to meet us where we're at individually. He also wants to meet us as a church right where we're at. And he said that God meets you in the places of fear, in the places of betrayal, and in the places of wandering. Do you guys remember that? And so we're going to look actually at this happened to Gideon. God met Gideon in a place of fear, in a place of betrayal, and in a place of wandering. God doesn't wait for us to have it all together to do something with our lives. He meets us right where we're at. And he speaks to us right where we're at and begins to do something through us right where we're at. So I want us to see that this morning. Let's look at Judges 6. I'm just going to give you, I'm not going to read all the verses because it's a lot. I'm going to highlight some of the verses. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of the backstory. The nation of Israel had wandered from God. And if you have read any of the Old Testament, you're probably familiar with the fact that the people of Israel served God and then they didn't serve God, and then they served God again, and then they worshiped idols, and then they served him again, and they repented, and they worshiped him, and then they fell into sin again, and that's what you see over and over and over in the history of the people of Israel, and this is one of those moments in their history where they were not serving God. They had forgotten about God's faithfulness to them. They had started worshiping other gods, and this caused some consequences in their lives. How many of you guys know Sin causes consequences. It just does, right? And so the people of Israel were, were experiencing some consequences of their sin. And what was happening is that these enemies of other nations were coming against them to torment and threaten them. And it actually says in the first few verses of Judges 6, it says that they became so oppressive toward the Israelites that the Israelites started hiding in caves. They were living their existence hiding because their enemies were oppressing them. It was the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples. And what they were doing is they would come and they would ruin their crops. When the Israelites would plant their crops, they would ruin their crops and they would kill their livestock. They were even taking away their food. So these people were fearful for their lives and they were hiding in caves. As I already said, sin has effects, whether it's our own sin or whether it's sin that has been done to us 
or toward us. Sin can make you a prisoner, make you feel like you're hiding in a cave. And again, maybe it's your own sin or maybe it's sin that's been committed against you. You feel like you've got to hide because sin creates an atmosphere of fear. Sin creates an atmosphere of betrayal. I want to th- especially highlight sin that is done to you, sin that maybe has been done to you, perhaps even by well-meaning people who didn't know that they were not honoring God with the way they were living, maybe parents or grandparents or uh, even the generations of your lineage, certain ways of living, certain ways of sinning, certain ways of not honoring God, and you don't even realize that you're living in the context of what that has created and you live in a place of fear, you live in a place of dwelling in a cave. And even well-meaning people, as I said, can pass on this way of living to generations. And what happens is our spirits become crushed, and our bravery is gone, and we begin to not even be able to see the purpose of God for our lives because of the environment that we're living in because of sin, and so we hide. So let's start in verse 6. I want to read from verse 6. That's the background of the story. It says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And so what happened right after that, after they cried out to the Lord, they remembered him. We can no longer save ourselves. We've got to cry out to our God. What he does is he sends a prophet, and the prophet says, you're going to need to repent. Okay? That's what happens. And uh, then God visits Gideon. He sends a prophet. He tells all the people you're going to need to repent. But then God comes and meets Gideon right where he's at, before they repent. And sometimes God will come and meet with you even before you repent, even before you see what's going on that needs to change. God comes and meets with you. And I believe God wants to meet with us today and visit us and interact with us in the way that he met with Gideon. So let's read in verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So you might say, why was he threshing wheat in a wine press? You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Well, it says he was hiding it from the Midianites. A wine press was like a basin that you would step down lower into, and that way the enemy couldn't see that he had wheat because he was hiding it from the enemy because the enemy was stealing their food. So he, even in this moment of God coming to him, he's in this moment of desperation, of hiding the little resource that he has. And in that moment... God comes and meets with him. It says the angel of the Lord, but you're going to see in the later verses it actually revealed it is the Lord himself. At first Gideon thought it was an angel, but it was actually the Lord himself. And this is what the Lord says to him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now think about that. This guy's hiding his food, living in a cave, and the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Sin and the effects of sin upon us make us think that God is not with us, that we're alone. And this is why the Lord starts by saying to Gideon, the Lord is with you. And I want to remind us of another thing that Hilton said prophetically to us two weeks ago. He said, God is dispelling any idea that he is wavering in his commitment to you as a church. God wants to dispel any idea in any of our hearts that he wavers in his commitment to us. In our sin, in our fear, in our desperation, we begin to feel the lie that God is not with us. But God says, the Lord 
is with you. So what does Gideon say in verse 13? He says, "Uh, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And then what happens next is it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Notice here the Lord doesn't even answer his question. Gideon said, if that's true, if the Lord is with me, then why has all this happened? The Lord ignores his question, and it says that he turns to him, and he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Maybe you have questions that you're asking God today. The Lord says to, to, uh, to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And it maybe the Lord would come to you today and say, the Lord is with you, mighty Rebecca. The Lord is with you, mighty Stephanie. And you might, on the inside, if we're honest, be like, ha, the Lord is with me. Then why is all this happening to me? Where are all the wonders and miracles? We might be saying in our hearts, if we're honest, God, why have you abandoned me in this area of my life? Why am I impoverished in this area of my life? Why am I struggling? Why have I encountered ruin in a particular area of my life? Why have I faced sickness after sickness? Why have I been betrayed and mistreated? Why is my family against me? Why are my kids not serving you? Why am I facing difficulty and struggle every way I turn? And maybe, just maybe, the Lord doesn't directly answer our question, but he just like Gideon, he turns to us. Now, what's the significance of the Lord turning to us? When the Lord looks at us, he settles our questions. He doesn't even have to answer our questions. He settles our questions. He restores our courage. He gives us peace. When he looks at you, he gives you what you need to believe him and to not even necessarily have your questions answered. And he just says, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? And right here in in these verses is where I felt the Lord encounter me this week. Some of the things that I have wanted to have him settle before I really moved on in faith, I felt like he said to me, I'm not even going to answer those questions. I want you to trust me. Some of the things that I've been saying, Lord, but what about this? And what about this? And I don't feel like I have faith until I understand why this happened. And I felt like the Lord said, I felt like he just turned to me and looked at me and said, go in the strength that I have given you. Am I not with you? And I had to, in faith, release those things to my God and honor him more than my need to have answers and say, yes, Lord, I will move beyond these questions that I have I will keep walking in faith because I believe and I know that you have sent me. So I believe God wants to say to us today, don't look at the circumstances that you're in to determine whether or not I'm with you. God wants to say that to us. Maybe some of the circumstances are because of sin that we've committed. And maybe there are some things we need to get right, but that doesn't mean he's not with us. That doesn't mean that he's not for us and we can make those things right. Maybe some of those circumstances are because of sin that has been committed against you. But regardless, God is with us. And he not only wants to save us from the circumstances that we're in, but he wants to send us to save our people. You hear me? He wants to send us to save our people around us from those circumstances because they're living in those same effects of sin around us. 
And I want to remind us again of something else that Hilton said prophetically. He said, God wants to propel you forward towards the future and inheritance that God has for you as a church. Don't be held back by the circumstances you're in. Don't be held back by the questions you still have. Say yes to God and let him propel you forward regardless because he's with us. And God called Gideon a mighty warrior because he saw Gideon as a mighty warrior. But Gideon was still very weak in his faith at this point. He didn't see himself as a mighty warrior at all. And maybe you can identify with that. I definitely can identify with that. I don't necessarily feel like a mighty warrior, but God says that to us. He says, Sine, you are a mighty warrior. He says, Cam, you're a mighty warrior. That's what he says to us. Are we going to believe him? Because when we go through difficult times, it can discourage us. It takes away our courage. But God speaks to us and gives us that courage back, and he increases our faith. So when God said that to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, he questioned God for the second time. For the second time, he's like, pardon me, God, but how can I save Israel? My clan, I'm in verse 15, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Once again, he's looking at his natural circumstances, his natural reasons all the reasons why he feels like God is not with him. And he's not considering that God said, I'm sending you. But in verse 16, the Lord answers him again. The Lord just keeps speaking over him. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So he asked the Lord for a sign, and I just want to pause here and just, bring to our memory that this is the Old Testament, right? That the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent to live inside of the people of God. We're in the New Testament realm now. We're still living out the New Testament. We're in the dispensation of the Spirit. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us as believers, and that is our sign. We no longer, as God's people, have to ask him for signs. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the Holy Spirit gives us a witness in our hearts. That's how we know that God is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is our sign. We have a relationship, as Rebecca shared this morning at the beginning, a relationship with the Lord that we don't have to ask him for outward signs. The sign is the Holy Spirit who gives us confirmation in our hearts that God is speaking to us. But this is the Old Testament. Gideon didn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of him, so he asked God for a sign. In verse 18, it says, Please do not go away, this is Gideon speaking, until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So he's going to ask the Lord for a sign as he brings the Lord an offering. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went inside and prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. So Gideon goes inside, he prepares an offering for the Lord in this holy moment, in this place of encounter, he wants to offer God something. What is the significance of this offering? Why would he feel that in this holy moment of encounter, he wants to give God an offering? 
Well, I believe there's several reasons. Let's remember that he couldn't afford this offering, right? He was threshing wheat when God appeared to him. And now he's taken that wheat and he's made bread, which is probably the only thing he had to eat. And he also prepared a goat. And we read that the enemies were killing their livestock. So this is precious food. This is precious resource. And he goes inside and he prepares this offering out of something that he cannot afford to give. This signifies that Gideon trusts the Lord to do what he said. He's saying, Lord, okay, I believe that you're going to raise us up to defeat our enemies. And if you're going to defeat our enemies, then that means I don't have to hold on to my resource because there's going to be resource in my future. I can trust you that what you're saying is true. And so I'm going to build an offering here. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to offer you myself and my resources as a sign that I trust what you're saying to us. So when God speaks to us and says, I'm with you, I'm sending you, and I'm going to raise you up over your enemies. And remember, our enemies are not people, right? Our enemies are the effects of the enemy, Satan, has, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And God says to us, I'm going to raise you up over that. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly, but I need you to believe me, and I need you to rise up, and I need you to become part of this army that I'm sending. Are we going to trust us? Are we going to trust God enough to say, I believe you, and as a sign, I'm offering myself, my resources, my time, my treasure, my efforts, all that I am, my talents? Am I going to trust the Lord enough or am I going to hold on to my resource because I don't really believe God yet? I don't really believe that he's going to make me triumphant over my problems. So I got to hold on to some of my resource just in case it doesn't quite pan out. Or are we going to trust him and offer all that we are and put all of our eggs into the basket of Jesus and say, yep, I believe what you say. I trust that you're raising me up to overthrow every enemy that I'm encountering. The days ahead, I know you're with me. And so I'm not holding anything back, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. Maybe even in the area of giving our time to what God is doing, feeling like we don't want to overextend ourselves in what God is doing because we're not quite sure that he's actually with us or that he's going to come through. Maybe in the area of our finances that we're, we're not willing to tithe because i got to hold on to that just in case God doesn't provide for me. Are we going to trust God that he's with us and that he's going to do what he said he would do? That's the significance of this offering that Gideon prepared. It wasn't just an offering. He couldn't afford the offering that he brought before the Lord. So the, in verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did it. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and fire flared from the rock. Fire just came up and consumed the meat and the bread. And that was Gideon's sign that he asked for. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And if they saw God face to face, they were afraid they would die. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah of the Bezerites, 
when we meet with God and we make it right with him and we offer all that we are to him and we say yes and we don't hold anything back, there is peace. Instantly, there is peace. When we settle things with God, maybe all of our circumstances don't immediately change, but I'm telling you what, instantly, there is peace on the inside. And sometimes turmoil in our hearts and fear and anxiety is nothing more than us needing to say yes to God, to set things right with him, to offer what he's after in our lives, to give him our time, our talent, our treasure, to give him our hearts, to follow him, to believe what he's saying to us. When we do, there's instant peace that comes. But he also wants to bring that peace through us to others. And we're going to see that that's what happens with Gideon. I just quickly want to go back to verse 12 to point something out. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, you know, Gideon says, doesn't really believe him. It's like, pardon me, but if the Lord is with us. But notice that he says, notice that God says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's reply is, if the Lord is with us. You see that? The Lord says, the Lord is with you. But Gideon's question is, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? But now the Lord has abandoned us. So Gideon didn't hear what God was saying just for himself. He heard it for his people. And I want to remind us of something else that Hilton said prophetically two weeks ago, that God will meet us at the place of unity. He will meet us at the place of genuine fellowship and community. And he encouraged us to be collective and connected in everything. That we wouldn't hear what God's saying just for us. It is for us. And we got to deal first with home base. But it's always for others too. Always. And are we going to hear God collectively and connected? It's, it's about so much more than just me. And the moment I can step into that reality, that's when God begins moving through my life for the sake of others. I want to commend us for this past Wednesday when we were on the beach at Belle Isle for Rebecca's baptism. There was such a wonderful sense of fellowship and unity, such a sweet spirit among us. It was so genuine. It was such a genuine uh, fellowship that we experienced. And even that we were connected and collective in everything, Priscilla arrives and she's like, I didn't even know we were doing this. She hadn't gotten the text, but she said, Norma, my, she, her friend, she said, Mickey ran into Norma and told her about the baptism, and then Norma called me and said, we got to go to the baptism, and I loved hearing that because that was us being connected and collective in everything, saying, come on, this is the way we're going in everything that we do, inviting others into what we're doing. If we're coming to gather for baptism, who can come with me? If I'm going to study the word, who can I teach how to study the word? If I'm going to go take a meal to somebody to pray with them because they're sick, who can go with me to deliver that meal? So we're connected and collective in everything that we do. And this is the way Gideon thought. He thought about others. And from this point in the story, we see that it was not just about Gideon, but it was also about his people. I want to ask you this morning, who are your people? I hope that we are some of one another's people, but beyond that, who are your people? Think about that for a minute. Your family, your household, your greater family, extended family, your friends, your coworkers. How about our city, our people, right? Our nation, these are our people. Well, what God is doing in us is not just about me. It's about our people, too. Did you know that your response to God matters to them? 
Your response to God matters to your household. It matters to the generations coming after you that you haven't even met yet. It matters. They, I, I recently read, I don't remember where it was, but I, maybe it was quoted at a quip, but they did a study of two different lineages of one person, like it was like a couple hundred years of lineages of one person who had honored God and served God and the other person who had not. And it was unbelievable. Like this person who had not honored God, like the number of people who went to jail, the number of people who had poverty, the number of people who, you know, just experienced, what's that? Yeah, addict, addictions. And then the person who had honored God, like the number of people who were missionaries and pastors and like just the, the like doctors and scientists and like just that God used these people to change the world. What we do in response to God matters. It matters for our city. Our obedience to God matters. So Gideon's obedience in that altar wasn't just about him. It was about his people. And in verse 25, it says, That same night the Lord said to him, he's going to send him now. Notice he doesn't wait until Gideon's like mature and ready for ministry and whatever. The same night that he encountered God, he sends him to do something. And I want to say to you, the same day that God encounters you, you are ready to do something for God. Something. Maybe not everything that he has for you, but you're ready to do something. So that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull now from your father's herd. So he had offered his own goat. Now he says, go get a bull from your father's herd. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Can you identify with that? Like, okay, God, I'm going to obey you, but I'm a little scared about how people are going to respond to this and my family or my friends. I mean, I can identify with that, right? So we kind of like do it, but like, hope nobody sees, right? In verse 28, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished. With the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the nearly built on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, "Who did this?" When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, Gideon's father, "Bring out your son. He must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it." But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, then he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. That was so wise of of Gideon's father. He realized, okay, Gideon's actually trying to bring us back to God in this moment. Let's see who the real God is. If Baal really is God, then he can defend his altar. So the people left him alone. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, let Baal contend with them. So Gideon was courageous and obeyed God and sacrificed a bull to God, tearing down the, the false god idol or altar and sacrificing to God. And because he tore down his family's altar to Baal, and Baal didn't strike him dead because Baal doesn't exist, he's a false god, In that act, Gideon was a testimony to his people of the true God. 
And when we take a stand among our people for God, we might be afraid, but we are a testimony to the reality of the true God. When we say, you know what, I'm not going to bow to that way of drama or sin or manipulation or control because I know one who's greater. And I might be scared to take the stand, but I know he's with me. And it doesn't really matter. It might be a little scary, but it doesn't really matter what my family says or what my friends think because God is with me. It doesn't really matter whether this is done in Detroit or not because God is with me. We are tearing down idols. We are tearing down places where the enemy has a stronghold in our people when we take a stand amongst our people for God. When there's wickedness around us, when even there's ways of well-meaning people, but these ways are not honoring God, and we take a stand amongst that for godliness, even when we're fearful, we are tearing down strongholds in our city. We are tearing down strongholds that have kept our families captive for generations. And what happens next is that God is going to use Gideon to call his people to battle. And they're going to rise up and they actually go on to defeat the enemies that have been tormenting them. And they lived in peace after that. But before God sends Gideon to push the enemies back, what we just saw was that Gideon first had to make things right with God for himself and for his house. Gideon made peace with God before he made war on the enemy. And that's what we have to do. If we want to overcome our enemies, first we make peace with God. And then we go to war against our enemy. Now, think about your family for a minute. Think about our city. Think about the enemies that torment the people that we know. The enemies of poverty. The enemies of abuse of all kinds. The enemies of addictions and corruption. Make it right with God yourself before you make war on behalf of others. And when we make it right with God ourselves, we have authority to make it right on behalf of others. In verse 33, it says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan. So all the enemies joined forces, and they crossed over the Jordan, and they're all going to come together now against them all at once. And they camped in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. The Abyssalites were his people. They were part of the tribe of Manasseh in Israel. So the spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon, and he calls his people to battle, to push back the enemy. Why did he blow the trumpet? When they blew the trumpet in the Old Testament, Numbers 10, 9 says, that when you blast on the trumpets, if you go to battle against the enemy oppressing you, you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Now, remembered by the Lord your God is not in the sense of, oh, God forgot about them. Remembered means that God's attention is on you when you blow the trumpet. And so that's why he blew the trumpet. And God will come upon us I believe, to blow a trumpet, so to speak, figuratively, when he is, when we've taken a stand for him, and when he, when we have some people whose attention, we have others' attention, and they're seeing God move, and God's working in their lives, God will raise us up to blow a trumpet to call others around us. And I, I want us to have our hearts open to that today. 
uh, and remind us of something that Hilton said two weeks ago. He said that we will encourage others in our city and region, and we will build them up. Are we willing to be those people who are existing here for our city and for our region, that we would blow the trumpet, so to speak, and call others to what God is doing, to encourage them, to build them up. You know, our, our vision as a church, our vision statement really is straight from Scripture. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has a, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the dar- from darkness for the prisoners. And it goes on to say that they, the people who are rescued from darkness, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So the very people that God rescues, he heals our hearts. He, he, he pulls us out of, of um, bondages like Gideon living in a cave. God wants to do that for each one of us, and he wants to do it for everybody in our city. Pull us out of caves. Pull us out of our bondages. Heal our hearts and raise us up to rebuild. That's what he has for us. And so we're going to take just a moment to respond to the Lord uh, from this message. And, you know, God met with Gideon under this oak tree. We've got this big oak tree right out here. And I just want us to consider this a moment of meeting with God under our oak tree. Lord, how do you want to encounter us today? And I just want to encourage you and remind you that in the place where you're at, maybe you're in a place of fear or betrayal or wandering, that's where God is meeting you, right where you're at. I want to encourage you to build an altar, so to speak, to the Lord today and offer yourself to him in response. All that you are and all that you have Become an instrument in his hands to tear down idols and strongholds around you. Make peace with God so that you can make war on the enemies of your people. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's for others. And God wants to raise us up to sound a trumpet, to call others into victory. So we have the attention of heaven. We have the attention of heaven today. When we build an altar, when we sound that trumpet, we have God remembers us, so to speak. His attention is on us when we respond to him, when we're not indifferent about what he's saying. So we're going to take a moment and just respond to him.